Thanks for listening to the Roman Circus Podcast, a weekly dive into death-defying discussions of Catholic culture, tradition, and history. I'm Matt Baker, and with me is a man who we all thought didn't exist anymore, Zach Mabry. Zach, everybody has been waiting to hear your voice for like a month. Why don't you give them some of those sweet, sweet vocal musings? Well, hello, everybody. Uh, it's good to be back on the podcast. No, go, go, go back for a month. We don't need that anymore. Oh, just kidding. I, I hope everybody missed me. Oh yeah, everyone uh, missed you. No, I did like the episode that you guys did while I was gone. We had to do something. But it's, but it's nice to have you back. You can tweet us at Roman Circus Pod. I'm at Hey, it's Matt Baker. Zach is at Zach Mabry. Z A C Mabry. Email us, podcast at romancircusblog.com. Find us on iTunes where you can rate and review us if you want. You can also find us on Podbean, Stitcher, and Google Play. Okay, Zach, what have you been up to these past weeks? Um, a few things. One thing I want to quick mention, uh, yes. last week there was a conference here in Dallas um, mm. at my parish, Modern Day, right. that I went to, and somebody said to me, they said, so I met, hey, it's Matt Baker. Oh, nice. That's how they phrased it. That's really random, but I like it. Who was it? Um, Actually, I think it was uh, Jenna. Okay, if that's, who I, that's kind of who I figured it was. That was the only one, that was the only person I remember meeting that could have said that to you. But I don't know why she would have called me, hey, it's Matt Baker. Oh, well. That's your Twitter handle? Yeah, I, mean, I guess it means she listens, right? Everybody listens. That's a good point. Everybody who hears this listens. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so anyway, that was just a shout-out from that conference. It was a, a kind of a quick thing in Dallas. Um, but before that, I was actually over um, in France. So I was there for um, a program called Pro Civitati Day. Yes. Uh, there were about 25 of us there um, in, in the south of France, and it was put on by the Fraternity of St. Joseph. Okay. And so... Uh, you know, we started each morning, we'd pray uh, prime from the divine office with the fathers. Uh, we'd have a conference uh, with a different topic or, you know, maybe a professor or, uh, you know, some a journalist or somebody would come give a talk on a, an important topic. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we would, we'd have mass. We had a solemn mass uh, every day. Wow. So we with priest and deacon and subdeacon and, you know, all the, all the things. Uh, we, we would do an afternoon conference on another topic, and then we uh, we pray vespers and compline with the fathers, and so it, it was nice. Lots of time to pray, um, lots of good conversations about important topics mm-hmm. from high level people, and uh, you know, lots of, lots of good times. It was it was fun. Were there any good conferences that you heard that you could bring back for us to talk about on the podcast? Oh yeah, a lot of them were uh, were very interesting, and um, you know, one that sticks out was a, a great talk about Byzantium and Rome that would be interesting to talk about with our listeners. Um, a, a central theme of the conference was sort of envisioning, you know, how do we live in the world these days as Catholics, mm-hmm. and what does that look like? Is it something like the Benedict Option? Is it more um, of an option of steady state liberalism, or is it something that looks more like integralism? Um, you know, all topics we can definitely uh, explore in the future. Maybe we can, uh, you know, one idea I had was to 
try to convince some of the presenters to uh, come on the podcast. But as a better option for now, actually, one of the friends I met is going to be joining us today. So um, we can we can bring him in. So um, for our listeners, uh, I'm excited to introduce you to my friend Kevin Rorty. Um, Kevin is the host of the new Tridangelization podcast. Um, he previously was discerning religious life with the um, fraternity of St. Vincent Ferrer in France um, and wow. was also uh, previously with Focus, but he's now a lay missionary and um, we're excited to have him on the podcast for uh, this week's topic because it's something that he knows quite a lot about having uh, discerned religious life previously. So welcome to the uh, welcome to the ring, my friend Kevin Rorty. What's up, Kevin? What's up, guys? Thanks for having me. I'm excited. The great part about this is Kevin is in the other room from Zach, so they're like 10 feet away from each other, but it sounds like we're miles apart. So, Yeah, yeah we don't have the equipment situation to allow us to be in the same room without having a ton of feedback, so here, this was our solution. I just throw it out there. Zach's voice does, is not as low as it sounds in the audio. He may have done something to like uh, mess with it. I don't know. <laughs> Well, it does sound more... I have it bring me down a few notches. It does sound more <laughs> refined. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Now that you said all that smart guy stuff about what you learned in France, you do sound more intellectual. <laughs> you're you're a new... You're like a elite intellectual now. Oh, yes. You know, I'm well, having you. very important <laughs> discussions with lots of high-level people. Yes, of course, of course. Uh, big news out in Los Angeles, guys. The parish St. Vitus has officially opened. We had our dedication mass last monday and uh archbishop gomez came and blessed the church and father segudo the regional director for the fssp came and celebrated the mass so things are in full swing it's it's still uh being sort of built there's a lot of stuff inside that needs to be finished but masses are happening at the new parish so that's the exciting news from out here Wow, praise God. Yeah. Who's the saint? Say what now? What's the the uh, patron saint for the parish? St. Vitus, V-I-T-U-S. Tell me a little bit about St. Vitus. Oh, wow, you had to... I, I should have known this was coming. <laughs> saint, saint, I mean, it's all saint. St. Vitus is a lovely young man who was born in Sicily and... 20 or no no excuse me 290 AD and he died in 303 so he died at the young age of 12 or 13 basically he became christian when he was 12 this is all according to the internet an unreliable legend but we'll we'll say it's very reliable for the purpose of talking about it right now he he became Christian when he was 12. When his conversions and miracles became known, the administrator of Sicily, Valerian, brought Vitus before him to like basically mess with his faith. But he was not successful. Vitus kept on. And uh, basically, he, he just got put through all these trials and these tests right away when he was young um i think i heard that his his mom would trap him with uh prostitutes to try and get him to turn on the faith and 
they would just try and get him to sacrifice to pagan gods, but he wouldn't do it. And uh, pagan moms are always doing that stuff. The the pagan gods, you say? Pagan moms. Yeah. Yep. But they. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> All right, Zach. Why don't you tell us more about Kevin and the new trad? Angelization podcast. Actually, Kevin, you tell us. What am I thinking? Sure. So, um, our podcast is premised on the idea that um, there seems to be a bit of a split in the Catholic Church among um, devout Catholics or faithful Catholics today. Mm-hmm. Um, there seems to sort of be the new new evangelization crowd and the quote unquote traditional crowd. Um, and oftentimes those two worlds seem to think that, um, being in one means that you can't be in the other. They're mutually exclusive. Right. Um, whereas, you know, talking with some of my friends, um, one of them in particular, Jacob, who is a student at university of Nebraska, Lincoln in the Lincoln diocese, um, well reputed for being one of the most um, conservative and orthodox dioceses, uh, not only in the States, but in the world. Um, uh, we just had a lot of ideas thrown back and forth amongst ourselves. And um, one day I was staying at his house early on when I was, when I first came to Nebraska, I, for circumstantial reasons, I stayed at his house and he was in his garage smoking a pipe with some other guys um, and uh, I was about to leave, but I was like, oh, I can't miss out on this. So I joined them, and they started having theological discussion, and one thing led to the next, and we decided we were going to start a podcast. Um, and um, since then, it's been great. We've been able to discuss a lot of ideas concerning how to evangelize, what does it mean to become a saint today, um, the beauties of um, the liturgy, and um, a whole host of other, other topics. Great. Well, we... I got to listen to some of the episodes, and I think it's a, it's a great podcast. I highly recommend it. You can find it in iTunes and anywhere else. Um, you can go to SoundCloud too. Yeah, and and um, we you'll you'll know it's ours when you hear us talking about the two classiest pipes, Augustine and Aquinas, that <laughs> we have been uh, the the feature of our podcast. Um, Your pipes we... are named Augustine and Aquinas. Yeah, the two most important doctors of the church. Duh. Clearly. Yes. Yeah, I, I listened to and one. Doctors, doctors are big on tobacco, so. <laughs> I listened to one, and I think it was one where you guys didn't have those pipes. Maybe I'm mistaken, but it was like the latest one. Yeah, well, Jacob did lose um, Augustine for a while, and then he just found Augustine, but we haven't done a podcast since then. So I bought a new pipe. And I was going through the canon, of course, uh, of the Mass. Where else would I go to to try to find the next name of my next pipe? I thought it was a she, so the first name that came to mind was Felicity or Felicitas. So Felicitas has been welcomed on the podcast as well. Amazing. Excellent. Excellent. So Zach, <laughs> Zach had the idea of today he wanted to talk about prayer, and he said that you would be a good person to have on one because you were in town, but two, because you know, a thing or two about prayer. 
So is that is that <laughs> is that something you can confirm, or was Zach just talking talking nonsense? Um, well, I can't say that I um, am a saint by any means, but um, I through some studies and my the formation I received in religious life and formation elsewhere, um, hopefully I could add a thought or two. It's definitely something I'm very passionate about. Most people who get to know me know um, that I, I value mental prayer as really the most valuable thing, the most valuable activity you can do in this life. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, if that, for what that's worth, uh, that's that's my take on prayer. Okay, well, Zach, start us off. Where did you want to take this this talk on prayer? Um, I think a good thing to do is kind of just break down the different levels of prayer. Can I propose first, like, an introduction to just, like, the levels themselves? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I really, one of the one of the people I really recommend to start out just learning about prayer and the spiritual life is um, Father Reginald Garigou Lagrange, OP, mm-hmm. Dominican, um, arguably the most important theologian, at least Dominican theologian, Thomist theologian of the 20th century. Right. Um, he was actually the overseer of John Paul II's, at that time, Karawatiwa's thesis, I believe, um, at the Angelicum in Rome. And he's written a lot on philosophy and theology, but um, what he's very well known for in spiritual theology are his works. Um, the bigger kind of two-volume set is the um, oh, the three ages of the interior life, and then it's a, very, a much smaller book, a summary that I have in my hand right now. It's a little over 100 pages. It's called The Three Conversions in the, in the Spiritual Life. Um, and in it, he just describes the different levels. And, but what's important, and this is something I learned from the Dominicans, is to understand w- what we're talking about. What is prayer? Because a lot of people may have this sense that mysticism is something just for religious or for monks or whatever. But actually what he wants to show is that prayer and being mystical is in the ordinary path to salvation for Christians. And the reason for that is because of our baptism, we have the life of grace. Baptism um, marks us and we then have the life of grace. And what does that mean? It means that we participate in the life of the Trinity, right? So right. that means we, we have that already within us right now, and it will find its fruition totally in the next life. But it starts now. And so the goal in this life, really, is to allow that grace to flourish more and more. And the way we do that is by fostering our interior life. Um, and, and so the introduction that he has is just phenomenal. I really recommend it to people. Just chapter 1 from the three conversions in the spiritual life. Um, he talks about how, you know, so many people are concerned with intellectual things and materialistic and consumeristic and yada, yada, yada today. Um, but there's really, you know, according to our Lord himself, there's one thing necessary, one thing necessary, which is himself, um, and to allow that to flourish in our souls. Um, and so I think that's a good introduction to understand what is the life of prayer. Um, it's the life of grace flourishing. So it's prayer in unison with growing in virtue, because that's what grace will ultimately do to us. Okay. I, I think that's way better than anything Zach and I could have possibly said. Probably. 
Man. Probably. No, like one way to think about this um, that I would point out is that these thoughts or the, I mean, these teachings about prayer life and the spiritual life are often referred to as mystical theology. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way that you can kind of look at, at that is that we have dogmatic theology, which are, you know, the teachings of, of the faith, such as the God of the Trinity, that Our Lady was immaculately conceived, et cetera, et cetera. And then we have moral theology, you know, which are things such as the Ten Commandments, you know, right. um, everything the church proposes about morals. Um, and then, you know, we also have mystical theology, and it sort of presupposes dogmatic and moral theology. So you do have to know the dogmas of the faith, and, you know, you have to not be a heretic. And you also have to be taking your moral life seriously and working on becoming, um, you know, morally upright in order to have, you know, an authentic spiritual life. And so that's one of the reasons why it's so important to not ever lapse into heresy, because you won't have an authentic spiritual life if you um, are a heretic. It's not possible. So um, that's but but a good way to kind of look at this sort of organized body of knowledge um, is, is understanding it as mystical theology. And then um, echoing Kevin's recommendation, Father Gary Lagrange is outstanding. The 20th century was obviously not a very good year for theology. Um, and there are very few theologians that I would ever recommend our readers um, look into from that time period. But um, an exception, of course, is Father Gary Lagrange. And then, I mean, the other two exceptions, generally speaking, are Fold Sheen and um, Frank Sheed, but they're not, you know, spiritual writers and they're, you know, they're writing about these topics so much. Sure. Um, so Father Gary Lugrange is, is excellent. Um, in, yeah. in the tradition of many excellent Dominicans. Yeah, I, I would, it, one, I would just add why, why Gary Lugrange, in my opinion, really is genius is because he does what's never really been done, which is a synthesis of St. John of the Cross and some St. Teresa of Avila with St. Thomas Aquinas. That's to say, um, Thomism on spiritual perfection with regard to the Beatitudes synthesized with St. John of the Cross and St. Teresa of Avila on the dark night of the senses and the dark night of the soul and the different levels of prayer that are associated with the different stages you go through in those. Um, and and so they, being able to do that synthesis and understand that the more objective Thomistic approach uh, can be brought in and really seen in its full light with the much more subjective approach, such as with St. Teresa of Avila, who just describes her experiences, um, to see that this is the one true faith and that it all goes together. Uh, I think it's genius, and it's it's incredible that we have this at our disposal because, you know, I mean, we're talking, what, like five centuries, six centuries after St. John of the Cross, Mm-hmm. Uh, we now have this synthesis. It's, it's pretty amazing. Yes. And I mean, that's bringing together, obviously, the angelic doctor with two other doctors of the faith of St. John of the Cross and St. Teresa of Avila. And the, the Carmelites, while they are writing about their experience, I mean, this is very um, edifying and very deep theology that you're getting from them. And then, But then, well, yeah, with bringing it into sort of the Thomistic perspective. It is bringing together some of the greatest minds and, you know, of course, some of the holiest people uh, in church history. So, um, yeah, all of his works are are very good. And it's uh, you'd be hard-pressed to find anybody that, that doesn't recommend him. 
um, as just someone great to read. So uh, you mentioned the levels of prayer. Can you kind of start with giving us an outline? So while there are nine levels specifically, there's sort of three general, I guess, ages or, or, or phases of the spiritual life. Can you kind of tell us what those are? Sure. I'll try to, I'll try not to ramble. So the church historically has given, there's, there's this, this idea of sort of the three, three occurs a lot in theology and a lot, but mm-hmm. um, it, it, there's the, the purgative, the illuminative and the unitive way that the church theologians, spiritual theologians through the centuries and millennia um, have, have kind of, it's been recurrent to see that this is sort of what spiritual authors say. So the purgative way is the beginning. Um, and, and if I recommend listening to the talk on YouTube by Father Ripperger called Levels of Prayer, um, where he, he says this, that a lot of people don't even end up starting on the purgative way. Um, but the purgative way is the beginning when you start to recognize that there's all these sinful things and you start to be purged of mortal sin and other sin and you start to um you start to develop more of a you just start to develop a prayer life consistent prayer life and then you then after the purgative stage there's the dark night of the senses where your senses are uh, purified and then you're in the illuminative stage um and that's where you're starting this more contemplation where god is giving himself to you infused and then there's the dark night of the soul um which is a purgation of the interior senses if you will um and the the interior of the soul and then then you're in the unitive way um where your 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 basically your whole being begins to be united to god okay so the okay so the the dark night of the soul is in the uh is in the second, the second, le- not level, but second, like a uh, category or subset, right? That's what you said. Yes. So when we hear about things like this happening to, you know, Mother Teresa, St. Teresa, Calcutta, among others, they all, they all seem so extreme and they seem so intense. It's interesting to note that that's not even the most intense that prayer can get. That's just a thought I had of it, 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 of how intense and how basically unified you can get to God. Because yeah, I, but you know, that would make sense. Funny because um, I actually I recommend another. I keep throwing recommendation out there, but another is Padre Peregrino. Zach, I I think you could back me up here. Padre oh, yeah, Peregrino. I've been to him constantly since you first brought him up. <laughs> Great, <laughs> um, Padre Peregrino. Look him up. P- P-E-R-E-G-R-I-N-O. Um, that's Peregrino. Uh, he's got a lot of sermons out there. Um, just really, really, he's got a lot of solid stuff on the internet. He's got a podcast. Um, but so I got to know this priest, and, and I remember one time um, he was talking about how a lot of college students um, or young people will start to say they're going through, you know, they have, they're in desolation they might be going through like the dark night of the soul. And, you know, it's, it's funny how those kind of terms, you know, people dive into like deep mystical stuff and they'll bring out little phrases and they won't, they will not use them in context. Yeah. And then they'll become common, common use and people don't really understand what they're talking about. Um, but he said, you know, 
it's not desolation when you ate too many Twinkies and it feels bad to pray. That's not <laughs> desolation, you know. Yeah. Um, desolation is when you're, you know, when you're doing the right things. Like that's when you start going through a dark night of the senses. You're consistent in prayer life, and actually you're distrustful of yourself, and you're, um, you think that you are doing, you might be doing something wrong. Like there's three particular signs that Lagrange talks about. Um, that are clear signs that you're going, starting to go through the dark night of the senses. But like you were saying, Matt, St. Mother Teresa and other saints, often they'll go through, I mean, it's not to say that these stages are all there. It's like a math, okay? This is, this is uh, still the realm of theology, which is different than experience, which can still be subjectively quite different from person to person. But this is a general pattern that is seen. And St. Mother Teresa sounds like went through her, her dark night of the soul was very long, a very long extended purification, right. purgation, um, from from what it sounds like from her letters. Yeah, and that's uh, so that the dark night of the soul is when you just don't feel any consolation for any good work you do, right? Like you actually don't feel God's presence within the goodness that is done. Is that well? I think it's more than that because I think it's the dark night of the senses when you when you stop feeling consolations if i'm yeah if i'm not mistaken right isn't that what i said oh sorry maybe i didn't say that i thought that's what i but yeah well, so, so you've got two so you've got dark night of the senses and then the next time that you you know advance you have dark night of the soul right oh okay okay so so here's here's one way you look so the the dark night of the senses sort of a purification of of your senses so um you're going to stop feeling good when you go to prayer Okay, you're not going to have the sense. So when you start in the purgative way, you start to pray. Typically, beginners, they, they receive consolations from God sensibly of like, wow, okay, I should keep praying. I want to keep praying. Mm-hmm. And their, their prayer begins with what's called discursive meditation, where you're reading something and you're thinking about it. You're using your reason. And that's all within human power to do that. Okay. And then as the purgative stage goes on and you start to advance and you get to the dark night of the senses, that's when you start to have, um, you get closer and closer to a simple gaze at Christ and then an, an infused contemplation, which means basically infused contemplation is when God basically gives himself, gives knowledge of himself directly to the soul without us needing to reason. It's not through our own power that we can come to it. It's sort of this intuitive understanding or knowledge that God gives us of himself. Um, and, and what's important that Gary Lagrange wants to emphasize is that this is something that can, that, that, that is important for everyone to do. Infused contemplation is not something just extraordinary. It's an ordinary way in the path of salvation. Um, and, and so like, that's the dark night of the senses when you stop being able to control, you, you, you have a sense, not a sense of consolation because like prayer doesn't feel good, uh, sensibly and, um, and you're losing that sense of control that is very human, right? Because you're not doing discursive meditation anymore with your own reason. God is infusing. It's him, and you have to passively receive it. So that, that's one purification. But the dark night of the soul is then going, like the illuminative stage in the dark night of the soul is then going to, it's going to be the fruition of this, this purification of the, of the supernatural virtues of faith, hope, and charity, at least uh, particularly of faith, I believe, in hope, where you have to, where you lose the sense of, of sensible faith in God, 
or I mean sensible faith, it's hard to describe. Your faith is purified and your hope is purified and in, in a supernatural way where you, you're making these acts, but there's a certain sense, a certain sense of distance from God even more interiorly than, than when you no longer have that sensible consolation in prayer. It's, it's harder to describe, but there's still a purification that really has to go on through that. Would you say that uh, while the faith and hope are being purified, that charity can actually stand out? Like that's the one that is kind of bolstered through this? Because I always thought that... That's interesting. Because I always thought with uh, Mother Teresa, when she talks about the dark night of the soul, one of the interesting things is it didn't prevent her from continuing her work, right? So she, even though she wasn't feeling anything, like if she, she, you know, for lack of a better phrase, wasn't getting anything out of it, she never stopped doing what she was called to do, which I always thought was cool because it meant that she knew that for one, she, she didn't lose her faith. And then two, she knew that it was always, it was never about her and it was always about her your calling right so and it would be out of love for god and love of others for the sake of god that would keep her doing what she was doing so i i don't know if charity gets bolstered because of that or if it was just in her case that it did but yeah i don't know i mean i'd imagine that that's the case and and i i i I, i'm not an expert so i don't want to speak authoritatively but my intuition would tell me that it's also in the unitive stage like you think of union that's exactly what love is supposed to do it's like you love finds culmination when it's united to its beloved so i would imagine that that's when like yeah your charity is is at its best in the unitive okay so to summarize you've got the purgative way where you begin and then um, you pass into the illuminative way, and that passage is called the dark night of the senses. And then after the illuminative way, you pass into the unitive way, and that passage is called the dark night of the soul. Is that correct? Yes, sir. And then just to be clear, you know, we're always big on encouraging people not to chase apparitions or miracles or anything like that, because that's how you end up with, you know, these big hoax apparitions that have five-star hotels built next to them, or people, <laughs> um, you know, ending up possessed because they were trying to levitate or something. Right. Um, it, it's, it's trying to advance in prayer. Is it like that, where it's not something that you should be actively pursuing, or is it something that should be pursued? Yeah, well, I think you know the answer to that, Zach, but um, it definitely it's, it's not... Um, it's not something that's for just, you know, crazy mystical monks. Um, and it's not something that's extraordinary. You know, you're asking for something you shouldn't be asking for or desiring something you shouldn't. You should desire perfection. You should just desire the, the unitive perfection of being in total union with God because um, it is in the ordinary path of salvation. Now, when you read the saints and you read about the mystics and all that, Sometimes, maybe often, in those stories, there are extraordinary phenomena that go on in the lives of these saints who are in the unitive stage, who are in union with God. There's extraordinary phenomena, such as levitating or miracles, etc. Um, but that doesn't mean that, that, that those things are not—you you can read, for example, St. Teresa of Avila is big on this, you know, 
people who cry talking about God, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're advanced at all in prayer. Um, or, or people, even people who levitate, you know, I'm, there's a good story about St. Thomas Aquinas, I believe I, I read, um, where there was a nun who, um, who was levitating and a lot of people were watching her and like, oh, look at her. And he walked in and he said, huh, look how big her feet are. And then immediately she like, I think she heard it and she stopped levitating or whatever. I don't know. She started yelling what happened at him. And then she, oh, you know about this? Yeah. So what, yeah, what exactly? I don't, I don't remember exactly what she said. Yeah. So he, yeah, the nun, you, you, well, you were correct. The nun was levitating and everyone was amazed by it. And they called St. Thomas over to check it out. And he, he made, yeah, he walks in and made a comment about like how she had ugly feet or big feet or something. <laughs> and she dropped, she dropped down and just started yelling, like yelling at him. And he said something along the lines of, Oh, this isn't an act of God because like if, if, if it was, you wouldn't have cared about anything anyone said about you. Oh, I thought he said like, I think it'd be, I thought he like, you know, it was one of those, I think it would be good if you worked on your humility or something like that. Yeah, sure. That, yeah. Part of that too. After yeah. he body shamed her. Oh, maybe <laughs> yeah. he didn't, maybe he didn't make the part about the God, but yeah, it was the kind of the idea of like, oh, well, she's not, this isn't as great as everyone else says it is. Yeah. And so I think that that's what to show why I brought that up is to show that extraordinary phenomena does not mean, you know, if you hear about people like, you know, they have these extraordinary things that go on, that doesn't mean that they're growing in sanctity, right? Um, you, the normal path is going through these stages, and these pa- stages include things like mortification, penance, this frequenting the sacraments, and, you know, at the heart of all of that is doing mental prayer every day. Um, and that's, that's what I would say is the most, imp- you know, you can talk about the illuminative and unitive stage, but frankly, you know, like, 99.99% of the population today is not even close to the illuminative stage. Um, sure. Probably, you know. So, like, I mean, maybe, maybe I'm exaggerating a little bit, but like, you know, like the, just being at the illuminative stage, that's like the, uh, you break each into three categories. If you did that, say around the fifth one that's in the illuminative stage is when you stop um, committing venial sins. Um, Okay, so like that's when you're stopping to do that, when you're at stage five of nine. Like if you think about that, like uh, there's still four more stages after that. Um, and, and to get to that point, you know, how many people do we know that are like that? You know, it, it really takes a lot to just to even get started in the purgative way, which means you're starting a prayer, consistent prayer life of, say, 15, 30 minutes of mental prayer a day. And you're you're going to you're trying to go to the sacraments and you're confessing and you're of of, uh, of course rooting out all mortal sin from your life and you're striving to even to fight against venial sins right so like just starting that's starting yeah, <laughs> um, yeah that's just, what a... we're not just trying to squeak by to get into purgatory if you aim hmm. for that you know that's you're not gonna have you're, that's just not a good way to play the game right um, you want to aim for sainthood and then hopefully you know things will work out. That's what a, so it's a friend out here says. Oh, sorry. Sense is what you're saying. Uh, it's something like that. Yeah. I can't remember exactly. So what like it is, a but... stage five clinger. <laughs> would be someone who isn't. <laughs> and that's a good thing in mystical theology. Yes. Perfect. 
Perfect. <laughs> yeah, the the uh um mental prayer is that's such a big hurdle for people to get over as well. Like it's the when it was first explained to me was it's not just it's not just saying the our father but saying it without speaking it. Like it's a, that's still vocal prayer. Like it so the it's meditation. That's the mental prayers. That that's the that's the thing that we don't even most of us don't even think about or even get into starting let alone let let alone giving up venial sinning right so then yeah so to clarify there so the first level of prayer um and obviously prayer is always a very good thing so when we speak of you know the lowest level of prayer that's it's the lowest level of a very important and high thing. So yeah. you know, that's not a dig against vocal prayer. But so the first level is vocal prayer. And yeah, those are things like the Our Father, um, the Hail Mary, different written prayers that you can say them out loud or you can, you know, say them in your mind and they will still be vocal prayers, regardless of, you know, if you're engaging um, the vocal faculty in, in their use. Um, and then, Above that begins mental prayer and meditation. Um, I have a I have a definition for meditation from Reverend Jordan Amon. You want to hear it? Let's hear it. Meditation can be defined as a reasoned application of the mind to some supernatural truth in order to penetrate its meaning, love it, and carry it into practice with the assistance of grace. So... There's that. Excellent. So <laughs> that kind of sets it apart from maybe a more common use of meditation. Um, obviously, especially with like the sort of iPhone app world, there's applications that call themselves meditation applications um, that are speaking really on the natural level of like the practice of mindfulness, mm -hmm. which is overall. Uh, and there are some Catholic um, psychiatrists and psychologists who recommend mindfulness um, in their mental health practices. You know, mindfulness and meditation practices that are built on that are natural um, applications of the mind for a natural end, um, something like managing anxiety or depression. They're not what we're talking about when we're talking about Christian meditation. It, it's unfortunate that they share the same word, but um, you know, my, you know, breathing exercises and, and things that your psychologist might recommend, that, that's not really similar to... Um, Christian meditation, I don't know that it's necessarily incompatible. Like, I think it's it's just two different things, you know. Like, the meditations that a psychologist would recommend to help somebody manage, you know, stop having panic attacks would not be the type of meditation that gets you into heaven. Right. It would just help you stop having panic attacks. So, um, just to set that apart, since the word meditation is commonly used culturally to refer to something on the natural level. So supernatural meditation is something a bit different than maybe we're familiar with. Um, Kevin, can you give us like a, a high level view of, of like a, a simple way to start meditating? Sorry, so you, you made the distinction there of the supernatural and the natural? Yeah, like natural meditation, which is sort of trendy right now, mindfulness, that kind of stuff, is sort of a natural practice for natural and not what we're talking about when we're talking about Christian prayer and meditation. Sure. So I think that there's actually three distinctions to be made here. So one, there's there's sort of psychology, right? So that's what that's you're getting psychological practices that happen on a natural level 
um, with things like mindfulness where you're being attentive to uh, sensible phenomena, right? Or thoughts even, okay? Um, that's, that's all natural. Okay, so then there's, but then there's also in the Christian sense, see, that's not, that's not Christian meditation. That's okay. it's in a, from a truly, totally uh, philosophy of the human per- person perspective. That's just basically psycholo- psychological uh, practices. Okay. Now from the Christian prayer is then there, there's two distinctions I'd make here. One would be the discursive where you're reasoning like that definition you just gave. You're using your reason to reason about the truths of the faith and, and come to a deeper awareness and appreciation so that they can, you know, instill in your interior and in your will. Um, but uh, then there's, like I said earlier, then there's also infused, um, infused contemplation, which is where we, what something that we cannot attain to on our own, no matter what. It is purely because of grace that we participate in the life of God and that we get to know his interior more and more. We get to know God more and more through infused knowledge. So those are the three distinctions I make. So it's a psychological practices. Then there's the discursive meditation. Um, and then there's infused. And there, I mean, there's obviously a lot more you can say about those latter two, even the first one. But um, those are the three distinctions I make. Okay. And so the first one, though, is like kind of totally outside the domain of, of mystical theology and advancement and holiness, right? Like we're talking that being a psychological practice, it, it's not like a level of, of, of prayer. Right. Yeah. I okay. mean, any, uh, unless for whatever reason it helps, like you, you, I mean, being more attentive, you gain great, greater control of your will and your intellect. So that, that helps unify your soul and that helps you in, especially in the purgative stage where you're, that's why you mortify your senses so that you can have greater control, but it, it's not an essential. It's obviously not a part of the purgative um, description. Okay. And that first step is, you said the uh, discursive? Discursive. Discursive. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so is that like sitting there and, you know, you pick out one of the 10 commandments honor thy mother and father and you you kind of you sort of chew on that digest that thing through it or is that what does that look like sure yeah so i mean i haven't really heard a lot heard it a lot on the commandments i've heard it more about the mysteries of the faith um some of the primary ones would be the trinity um the redemption of christ the incarnation um the holy eucharist uh, mary mother of god things like that some of the major um, mysteries of holy sacrifice of the mass. Um, basically, the 15 mysteries of the rosary. Yeah, those are some of the most essential. Yeah. Um, you, you meditate, you think about that, you can reason through it. Or it could be a scene, you know, it could be a scene from like the mysteries, you know, the presentation mm-hmm. of our Lord's temple. You know, we, we have this whole beautiful liturgical year in the church that you each day has different things you can meditate on. Um, and so like so ordinary time, it, sorry, what was that? I said like ordinary time. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm filing a complaint. <laughs> Even in order, there are feasts, you know, there are feasts. There's no ordinary time. <laughs> uh, in the time after Pentecost. Right. Um, 
But anyways, yeah, you, you, you think about it. I mean, it's basically like, okay, who's here? What are they doing? Why are they doing it? Or what is, you know, what is this? Where are you taking me? <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Yeah, no, that's exactly how I had explained to me. Just who is there? What are they doing? And what are they saying? It was, that was the basic way I was, it was explained to me. Just like you take a, basically you take a scene and who is there? Why are they there? What are they doing? And then what is happening amongst them? So, yeah, instead of, okay. instead of just, uh, and sorry to jump in on you, Kevin, but, um, no, that's good. instead of, for me, it was a little overwhelming, the idea of, uh, just taking the scene, right? If you can, if, if you say, oh, I'll let's the woman at the well, for example, like it could just kind of be overwhelming to take that as, as the whole, like as one giant thing. But if you break it up in, and kind of set, like enter the car and get the car in motion with who is there, what are they doing? What are they saying? Then, then that kind of opens it all up for you. So the woman at the well is not overwhelming when you do that. Mm, I see. So glad to have you back on the podcast, Zach. I just punched him for you, Matt. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you moved into the same room. That's great. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so it, and another thing yeah. w- with meditation is every, everything is kind of up for grabs as far as meditation, I think, because as far as the as far as the teachings and this, the Bible or the mysteries, things like that, because um, it's, it's just all, there's all something to be learned from it. Right. So it, you don't have to kind of constrain yourself to necessarily a certain Avenue. Like it's all, it's all up for, it's all up for grabs and that's a, a spiritual director can kind of help you sort through it. What might be the best option or the best Avenue for you to take for meditation right and i think if there's um if there's something in the faith that you have trouble with um that could could be a good you know an invitation to meditate on it you know if, if you're having trouble stomaching some of the truths of our our holy religion then spending some time in meditation is a good starting point um to to start to understand it better i think the one, be- one the- thing Sorry. I would add to the idea of the discursive um, element is that there are actually kind of two different paths. So there's like Ignatian mm-hmm. and there's Theresian. Um, Ignatian, St. Ignatius, where you basically, you, you imagine a scene, you use your imagination a lot. And then, you know, through that, through your, your, you really get your senses involved, like you're there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's one way. But there's another way that St. Teresa of Avila, she did because she didn't have very, she didn't have great control over her imagination. And so um, she was like, but I've got to be able to pray. And, and I know, and I, I know that Christ is in me. So her, her way is like, you can think about things. You don't have to imagine a whole scene, but you can just kind of ponder things, you know, one way I might think of it is like walking down, you know, where you're walking down along a, a river or a stream or whatever, and you're in sort of a meditative mindset. You're kind of pondering over a truth. You know, it's kind of, it's hard to exactly define what you're doing there, but you're pondering over truth. 
and then you you come you, and you speak about it, or you just come into the presence of Christ who is in your soul. Um, you just come to presence with him. He is already in your soul. And she would say, you don't have to go looking around for him. He's already in your soul. And ultimately, that's what Ignatian meditation should lead you to after, you know, after, I mean, this this isn't immediately right, but it's what you should have the end in mind is to be able to, you know, as if you meditate over and over and over and eventually you get better and better at it, you get to, you come become more and more aware of Christ who's already in your soul. Mm-hmm. And that's that's a, a habit of prayer that is developed over time. I was just talking to my spiritual director yesterday, I believe it was, or maybe it was Friday, either way, irrelevant. But I was asking him the idea of when prayer, because we all, we all can reach a point where, I don't want to say it's boring, but it gets ultra repetitive, right? So the the habit, we need to be able to form good habits in prayer, but what are your thoughts for the both of you on the idea of switching up prayer or like changing up the way you meditate or things like that so it becomes fresh while also acknowledging that having good habits and, and it, there is good virtue in that. Do you understand what I'm what you understand what I'm saying? At all? Um I I mean I think I could talk about it. I think I get what you're getting at. Like, cause it, for um, me, for me, if I do the same thing over and over, there is some, there is obvious value in that, but I have to watch that. I'm just not becoming a drone, basically a prayer drone. That's just right. spitting out the same thing over and over. When it can get very rote, like you don't necessarily want to, okay, you know, I have my checklist of, I say, you know, eight Hail Marys and then, then I genuinely for like 19 times and then, you know, things like that. I mean, obviously it's, it's, it's a love, it's a loving relationship that you're forming. So there is a certain newness to each time that you pray, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And I think that as you advance in the spiritual life, like you, that since there's a, you're purged of some of those senses, um, where that, you know, there can be boredom or whatever that can be because we're, we're attached to things, you know? And so we're being detached. But there's also an element of, you know, re- repetition where if you're doing silent, you know, once you dive more into silent prayer, you you realize there's a certain spiritual energy you can get from grace um, that um, is more difficult when, or you often you're not even aware of, um, when still just doing vocal prayer and haven't really, you know, and, and Teresa of Avila wants you to be able to do mental prayer while doing vocal prayer. But typically if you just do vocal vocal prayer, but you don't have ever start to try to do mental prayer, um, meditative prayer, then it, you never really start to combine the two. Okay. So let's roll through all those levels. Cause we talked about, again, the three broad categories, the purgative way, um, which after the dark night of the senses gives way to the illuminative way, which after the dark night of the soul gives way to the unitive way. But those three uh, ways can be split into nine um, sub subways. <laughs> I won't make any puns about subway. Punch them um, again, Kevin. But yeah, let's uh, let's kind of roll through those. Okay, so we talked about vocal prayer and we talked about discursive meditation. I'll I'll list them off, and Kevin, if you have something to say, or Zach, you can just 
say a little blip about him, okay? So the third one is effective mental prayer. Can you say the next one and then I'll, I, I might be able to draw a little distinction there? So the, th- okay, three, effective mental prayer, four, acquired recollection. Right. So um, I think effective prayer, this this area is definitely a blurry one. Okay. Um, but between discursive and effective, like discursive is basically just your intellect. Like you're just thinking about these things and you thought about them and voila. Effective is when your affections start to enter in and you start to share effect, affections on a deeper level with the, with what's going on in your meditation with is it, Christ. Is it like a, um, sorry, is it like a prayer of the will basically? So if one is the intellect, then like your will become it, more of your will becoming the will of God through meditation. Um, sure. I don't want to exaggerate that though, okay. because I mean, really that's, we're talking more like unitive, like will united with God right. in that sense. Like it's a different united, like you're, you're, you're making acts in this case, you're starting to make acts of the will, but it's much of emotions are getting involved where discursive doesn't even necessarily mean that you're really, your emotions are even like even involved. Okay. That's my understanding. Okay. So then, so then you said acquired recollection, correct? Right. It's also called prayer of simplicity. Right. So my understanding is that this one, I, is this supposed to be in the illuminative stage? Because mm-hmm. I, I thought this was still purgative. Um, that's interesting. Well, either way, I know that th- basically there's a progression where you start to, after the effective, so you go from you're thinking about these things and affections come in and with your will, you're making acts of the will. And then you, there becomes a point where you have a sort of more of a gaze, just a simple gaze at God. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's like straight gaze. Now, there's a difference between you can you can actually acquire this on a natural level. Saint Teresa of Avila says this that you can get to this point naturally. You don't actually have to have like supernatural infused contemplation to do this. Mm-hmm. But then after that, which you can say, what's after acquired recollection? Infused recollection. Right. So then there's this infused recollection, like or infused contemplation of God, where you're looking at God. God is giving that knowledge, infusing it into the soul. So then there's this kind of blur. You know, you have this blur between discursive and effective. You're thinking, and now affection is coming in, and then blur between effective and um, and um, acquired recollection, where you're going from like acts of the will to simple gaze at Christ or at the, at God. But it's you know something that you can do by your own um, power. And then there is. A blur between that and when it's infused, you know, when, when, when is it, you know, it's hard to tell when is it, when it's God who's giving that infused knowledge and when it's, you know, just, um, acquired through natural powers, you know, in prayer, sometimes it might come in and out of the one and the other, but that's sort of the progression that happens. Okay. So then six is prayer of quiet. The will is totally captivated by divine love. That's yeah, and I think Saint Teresa of Avila. I'm pretty sure she she describes this one as like um, like a, an infant at the breast of their mother, okay. um, like just totally receiving from God. You're just in your faculties are silenced. It's my recollection. Okay, then prayer of simple union. 
both the intellect and will are absorbed in God. So this is, yeah, this is the beginning of the unitive stage then. Yeah, and so that's pretty intense. Prayer of ecstatic union. Well, that sounds exciting. Yeah. So it says here, this is the mystical espousal or conforming union. So I don't know if this is... Sorry? What's after What's after that? Prayer of transforming union, also called the mystical marriage. Didn't you just say it was espousal? So... Like betrothal. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, and it, so that's already... By this point, you're not even sinning venially. Oh, yeah. You probably have almost no imperfections that, you know that you're aware of. Um, and, and you're operating on a divine level. That's another, like the gifts mm-hmm. of the Holy ghost. This is an important thing we need to talk about, but we basically, you, as the grace, the life of grace flourishes, um, you begin to operate more and more on a divine level because our end is as saints in heaven operate on divine level. They participate in the divine life. Mm-hmm. So that's what we're growing toward. Um, and so these saints, they're operating more and more with the gifts of the Holy Ghost, which basically give inspirations to act not against reason, but on a on a principle that's above or higher than reason. Um, kind of like little spiritual geniuses that get these inspirations. You know, Mozart gets his inspirations for um, these beautiful symphonies. Um, we get these inspirations without, we can't really explain it, to either to make acts of the will or to make acts in actual life um, externally, and by following that, and, and especially in mental prayer, it's like a continual, it sh- when you're at the stage, it's like a continual just operating of the Holy Ghost, of the gifts of the Holy Ghost, to, to, um, to unite us through that inspiration to God. It all just sounds... Well, this is all just fascinating. I was going to say... Mean, very exciting in that there's so much to prayer that we maybe haven't thought of and so I, I i'm very interested in kind of learning more about this um and so I, we may have to have you back on so that we can kind of continue working through this um any, any last sort of points we should make on prayer matt sorry can you repeat that um any last minute points we should make on prayer pray always that's my that's my point that's a great point did you come up with that on your own? Yes, I'm going to get it put on, uh, I don't know, what are they, like, placemats that you can put around the house? I don't know. Yeah. Pray it, always to everybody always? Who's using placemats anymore? It, uh, um, <laughs> Zach, you threw me off. Uh, always? Yeah. It, I think the biggest thing is don't get discouraged right like i it, the idea that prayer can be overwhelming or that you want to do too much just don't don't get distur- discouraged because any progress is still progress right we all start from somewhere so the idea is not to do more than you can at first because that will basically end up with you doing nothing so even if you do a little bit to begin with, it's still better than doing nothing at all. So that's, that's basically what I would say. 
if you can't if you can't meditate for 30 minutes at a time don't worry because like a lot of people can't i can't i can hardly meditate for five minutes at a time right so just start off with as much as you can and then go from there and when in doubt just go to adoration and just sit there that's also a good thing i found you don't just go to adoration and just sit there and be present. Yeah. Citrus of Apple says that's foundational at the beginning is just from the outset, have a determination to persevere. Um, it's, it's a, that's foundational to the life of prayer. I actually, yeah. Ever since I've learned that Teresa Avila had a tough time with all this, I've kind of looked to her as a model for what to do because it's nice it's nice when you find out that saints struggle with the same things you do, that they're not just these unattainable figures that we read about, but when they have this, yeah. when you have common struggles with them, it really helps to learn that you can push through and do it all better. So, Oh yeah. Well, Kevin, thank you for joining us. Um, this was very informative and I, I'm sure our readers will have um, plenty of questions so they can tweet us because you're not, on the Twitters, and we'll uh, we'll pass the questions on. T- wait, so, he, uh, wait, he's not on Twitter. Sorry. I know, I know. What are we Dude, even doing, whatever. Jack? My co-host is on Twitter. Look him up, Jacob Bauer. Zach, this is this was when we first set out to do this podcast. It was only people who are on the website are allowed. That's what we. I know. That's what we decided. I know I violated it. The I, I website broke rule. The website. And you're not even on it. And you're not even on it. I didn't know I was being welcomed on a Marxist podcast. <laughs> so, well, you didn't listen to our episode with Jake then. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, and I was going to say, that's our big uh, cliffhanger for season two, is that we reveal that we're just giant Marxists. <laughs> yes. Yep. All right. Well, glad to have you back, Zach. Thanks for coming on, Kevin. We'll... Well, uh, yeah, it was awesome talking to you guys. I really enjoyed this, and uh, it'd be great to be back and check out the TNT. Always on the verge of exploding. Oh, okay, great. That's our podcast. <laughs> All right, thanks for listening, everyone. See ya. God bless.